time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and this is Minisode 21. It is also our April donor pick. Our Patreon supporters chose from a list of films and by a wide margin picked this stunning sci-fi directorial debut from 2015, Ex Machina. Or Machina. You know, we should quite, we should get a consensus on that before we go much further, guys. Machina or Machina? Okay. Well, I was going to go with the third one, like Machina, man. Like a little Espanol. Oh, gosh, there's three you know, maybe? I was I was going with Machina. you guys are not helping me i will carry forth personally i'm glad that they picked this guys because it was my favorite film of that year and it is included in my recently updated top 100 list so patris patris see that's what happens see now i can't even pronounce your name right patrice patrick are you as excited for this one as i am well, not as excited now that you've mispronounced my name a couple of times, but <laughs> if I have to uh if I have to get excited, this is a movie definitely worth getting excited for. I remember when you introduced me to it and you know that I like sci-fi and we had a nice little offline discussion after I'd seen this. Uh very few words that could be spoken because I was like, what just happened? But um yeah, I'm excited to talk about it tonight. And uh speaking of talking, it's not just us tonight, Aaron. We've got a special guest. And he goes by the name of Emmanuel Noisette, or, or E-Man, as he likes to be called. He is a film critic in the Chicago area and writes for his website, E-Man's Movie Reviews, as well as producing really great YouTube content. He's also a science fiction superfan, so I think he's uh, going to fit in pretty well here. Emmanuel, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on here, and excellent pronunciation for the last name. Yes, thank you. I try, I try my best. That's why I gave Aaron there. That's for, why I gave you that job. <laughs> <laughs> I was I wasn't sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I I echo that, Emmanuel. Very nice to have you. I'm so pumped you could you could get on. As soon as we discovered your show, we were pretty excited about that. And uh, you know, when I found out you were a sci-fi fan, uh, this all just lined up perfectly. So, um, spoiler warning listeners, we are a podcast that is best listened to after you've seen the film. So please do turn us off now. You don't want this spoiled for you. Uh, it's not the kind of movie you're going to get the same experience from if you know what happens. So turn us off, come back later. With that being said, let's get some quick initial impressions. And Emmanuel, you're the guest. So what is your history and experience? Quick overview with Ex Machina. Wow. I mean, um, I think I was kind of like Patrick where, you know, when I got introduced to it, it just blew me away. Um, I remember it being like back when I reviewed it, what was it like 2014, 2015? Um, I think it was like the best sci-fi movie for it was the purest sci-fi movie I had ever seen. Um, It didn't feel like it had a lot of Hollywood fluff in it. It was something that was just there to you know massage your brain and just tantalize your imagination all at once and it was everything to me because one sign of a great sci-fi movie to me is when you're able to talk about it weeks months years later and it still feels fresh you know like i just rewatched it you know trying to prep for this podcast and i was still blown away like it's still relevant and hot, so I loved it. Awesome, Patrick. What do you What do you well, say? Like, well, like I like I mentioned, um, the the first time I watched it was actually in two parts, which is I know not the best way to watch a film like this because I was introduced to it, wanted to get it started, and so it was, you know, it wasn't too long between the two parts that I watched it. So getting a chance to sit down and rewatch it for the podcast was. It wasn't. It was a fresh experience. I won't call it new because we knew what the endings were and all that stuff. So, I I'd recently just listened to an episode of a of a, a podcast that uh, that referred to their, their the movie they were reviewing as uh, one that you would turn your brain off. You know, it's a movie that you just kind of sit back, enjoy it. And I think this is the complete opposite. I think this is a film that forces you to think and forces you to engage in not only what the story is telling you as an entertaining 
factor, but also the things that it's trying to ask you as an audience. Um, the things from a, from a sense of, uh, well, I mean, just the title itself, uh, Ex Machina, you know, it comes from that Latin phrase, uh, Deus Ex Machina, you know, God from machine. So there's a sense of, it's a storytelling method. Um, you know, it, it harkens back to that kind of like plot device that's used in uh, to describing, you know, a, a portion of English literature. But at the same time, now we're getting a sci-fi element there. And now we're going, okay, are we getting some double meaning, triple meaning, quadruple meaning here? So upon my second viewing, I got such a refreshing experience from it because I was able to be just familiar enough with it that I knew the story beats so that I could focus on other elements that I remembered catching my brain's eye whenever I watched the first time. And so the second time, just like you said, uh, Iman, it, 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 it forces you to just want to think about it more and talk about it. And I'm so glad that we have a chance to do that tonight. Well, my experience is very similar to both of you. Um, like you said, Patrick, you know, I mean, I introduced you to this and I missed this theatrical run. That was uh, one of my misses um, was before I was really into the film criticism thing. And so I didn't catch up with this until it was on home video, which, you know, I, it's not necessarily the type of movie you've got to be in a theater for. So it's not too bad, but I would have liked to support it. Um, this is also the film I will say that really turned my attention toward A24 for the first time. Uh, this and It Follows. Uh, those two came out, and I kind of, uh-oh, E-Man's not a fan. We're going to have to, we're going <laughs> to table the It Follows talk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this turned me toward uh, toward A24 in a big way. I think maybe Under the Skin as well. Am I going to get a thumbs up or down on that one? Under the Skin? He doesn't know. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love his kind of commentary. Oh gosh, this is great. This so, is good facial <laughs> back, to, back to the movie that we're actually <laughs> podcasting on. I adored it. As I mentioned, you know, this is in my top 100. My favorite type of sci-fi, and I'm a sci-fi junkie, my favorite story type is AI. It's artificial intelligence. And exploring those ideas around consciousness and what it means to be human. And so, obviously, this is right in that wheelhouse for me. The cool thing that I will say about the movie, just real right here, is that, you know, I've watched it, I think, four times now. And the first three times I watched it, I did so with a different perspective each time. And I have found incredible value from doing that. So the very first time I watched it, I watched it from the Caleb perspective. I think that's, that's kind of what the movie wants you to do in the beginning. We're Caleb. We're the, we're the guy who doesn't know what's going on. Second time I watched it, I put myself into Ava's shoes, and I watched it as if I was experiencing her story, and everything was kind of, you know, relative to her. And then the third time I watched it, I did it watching it relative to Nathan. What were Nathan's goals, knowing what he wanted to achieve, and how did the story change? And it's amazing that you can do this, and you can get, like, three different movies out of it. It's phenomenal. Just just stellar filmmaking. Um, I've been a fan of the writer-director, Alex Garland. It's his first directorial film, but he was the writer on another favorite uh, sci-fi film of mine called Sunshine. And I just love his ideas. I think he's he's got a brilliant mind for this stuff. And, yeah, I, this one will be hard to top for me in the world of science fiction for a while, I think. But with that being said, let's uh, jump into some topics, guys. Uh, anybody have any particular one they want to lead off with or – you want me to choose, Aaron? Why don't you choose? Since uh, since you're probably the most familiar with it of of the of the three of us, and you've seen it from everybody's perspective, uh, maybe except um, <laughs> except our uh, our Asian Asian bot. <laughs> maybe you see it this time through your your next viewing is through, uh, through Asian, yeah, Kyoko's. Well, uh, so okay. Well, let's talk about Ava then, because I am a big Alicia Vikander fan. And, uh, yeah, I, I could watch me some, some Ava all day long. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not why I love the movie, I swear. But, uh, you know, Ava is the artificial intelligence in question here. And Caleb is drawn in and is expected to perform this, this Turing test, which we're explained that the Turing test is to figure out uh, what, you know, what makes – what makes an AI human? And I, I believe that the way he explains it is when a human interacts with a computer and the human doesn't know it's interacting with a computer, then the test is passed. 
And so that's kind of the the big idea that the movie is presenting us. So what do we think about Ava? And that is a, a huge question, I know. But um, I guess I would start by saying when Ava is created, what do you guys think about the idea that she's being created in the image of Nathan? Um, you know, I think she she doesn't even even upon first glance the fact that she's female the fact that um if if you're talking about the image in in that she possesses personality traits of his i don't necessarily see that i know that i see that uh at least at first hand but i think that her I, i think she's an extension of him in some ways and that she was created by him but I think that one of the beautiful things about this film is that she feels very independent. Like she feels like someone or something that, you know, we know that he's created her, but she doesn't feel like she's an echo of him. I mean, she feels like maybe his arm that might have independence if it were, if it were cut off or, you know, if it could be, you know, but I think for, for, for my take, my initial perspective on her is that, I feel like she's very independent. I feel like she is a young, um, just curious child, the way she asks questions and the way that she tries to understand more. Um, and as the film goes on, I think that reinforces it. And I might be missing something, but I just, I don't see the connection with her and him. I don't, I feel like she is, I don't, I don't see, uh, much of an echo in her, uh, it, from him in her. Um, so I do think that, okay, so just a little background, you know, I, uh, I study, uh, religious philosophy. So it's a combination of basically different theologies of different religions. And I study philosophy and stuff like that. And one thing that has always intrigued me with, uh, artificial intelligence is the fact that in a sense, you know, regardless of whatever your personal beliefs are, um, it's a way of mankind trying to be God, right? Trying to bestow some sort of consciousness or life into something that is not of himself, you know? Um, and so when we talk, when, when the question is asked about, is Ava created in the image of Nathan? I have to say yes, because in some regard, she's still programmed. Right. So that means that whatever limitations or non limitations that are there, there's still things that either Nathan wanted for her or did not want for in some capacity. Um, As for her, you know, being kind of like a baby, you know, kind of like how Patrick was saying, um, I definitely agree with that. But I think that it's more of like her mindset is just more primitive. Um, because at the end of the day, what did he, I think he said that she was programmed with their, uh, what was that called? Blue something, the, the Google, uh, Blue book. program, Blue book. Blue book. There you go. Yeah. So, you know, she's a composite of a lot of raw data, you know? So it's not like, I, I guess my biggest question was always whether or not you can really program free will. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you ask a lot of mathematicians and stuff like that, um, you know, randomness, you can't make randomness, you, you know, like in, in AI, you have to program it in some way, shape or form. And if that's the case, then it's really not technically random. So I question whether or not she actually has free will. And that's probably one determinant as to what keeps her from being fully human mm-hmm is you know just the mere but it's something that she wants you know she wants to be able to think for herself and do for herself and unfortunately i think that she's under an illusion that she can because she's ultimately programmed one way or another well there's that truth there and there's also the truth that she's only been exposed to two people right her entire life so the world that she knows i mean in a similar sense to the the book turned movie room the only world that she knows is this compound that's underground that feels more like a prison than it does, you know, a house. And so that's what I found fascinating in particular, the sense when she was asking uh, him the questions, 
about and, and one of the questions that when she kept saying false false you know because she was reading his uh his micro expressions and she tell she asks him uh are you good and he pauses and he kind of hesitates he says yeah i guess i i am and she she doesn't say false and so i think what she's doing is as she's learning she's getting two worldviews because we're set up to see these two opposing people like one person views the world one way one person views the world a different way. Uh, even their personality types when they first meet is just completely like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm an uptight nerdy guy, and this other guy's like a laid back. I'm gonna, you know, work out and drink beer. But they're both really smart people, and so we get these two different worldviews that I think she has, she's embraced Nathan's for so long, and now she's getting this new one, and I think that is sort of developing her, her personality that we see on screen. So one thing that I noticed, um, you know, on the second viewing, which I didn't catch the first time, was one thing with Nathan is that because he's been so secluded from society, he's almost disconnected with social nuances, right? So like when he first meets Caleb, he's just like, hey, can we kind of skip this whole thing about you being, you know, in awe and, um, you know, this whole awkwardness and let, let's just get to it. You know, that's like a human component um, that, you know, we just kind of go with, you know, within society. And in a similar way, Ava was kind of the same way. I mean, she was just like asking those, you know, questions that most people would probably warm up with, with icebreakers or, you know, once a relationship is formed or a friendship. But she's just like, hey, do you like me? Are you attracted to me? You know, now I expect that from her. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that it was also coming, you know, from Nathan as well. Um, but here's something else that kind of threw me off. And, and this kind of goes against what you were saying, Patrick, just a little bit. I don't know how much learning she was doing because it didn't take long for her to know the concept of deceit. She knew how to, you know, uh, turn the power off and stuff like that. And, you know, when the room got all red and everything, she's telling Caleb one thing. But in a sense, she's being deceitful to Nathan and trying to hide whatever her ulterior motives are. So that's something that I'm really wondering, you know, if you're really a baby or an infant with this mindset, where did you pick that ideal? You know, where did you pick that up to lie and be deceitful in that manner? Yeah, I, I definitely think that is one of the things that points toward the, the idea of being made in the image of your creator. And I, don't, I, I, I would hesitate to say that – I would hesitate to think that it couldn't be that way because you know, in, in, when you're creating something, you're doing so like you were alluding to is based on your experiences and what your, you bring to the table. I can't create based on what Patrick knows that I've never experienced. I'm unable to do that. So I can only put myself into what I'm creating. Plus, you know, I can project and I can I can come up with thoughts and ideas of, of what I think things might be like, but I ultimately it's what it's only that one perspective. And so I think that she is definitely made in that way. And we really But do you think that I was gonna say, but do you think that it's more so her being made in the with all this data dump that she has from the search engine? Don't you think she's being influenced by that equally as much? Um, or do you? I don't. I don't know that. I, I don't. don't, I, don't I, think, I don't know if it's. I mean, do you? I just wonder if it's possible for Nathan to project, embed, program deceit and you know, and deception and manipulation into her. I mean, I feel like that's some kind of learned thing that she picks up, not something that he puts. And we might be saying the same thing just in a different way, but. I, 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 I kind of, so I was thinking about that too, right? Like the whole, you know, this data dump that they put into her. And I was thinking about like, you know, was this Google with the safe search on? Because the <laughs> internet is a really effed up place, it right? Really, like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a messed up place. And <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking like, if the majority of the certain things that are on the internet were in her mind, I kind of feel like her questions would be very different. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree. I mean, and and then her age plays into this as well. So that's one of the fascinating pieces of dialogue in the entire film for me is when Caleb's asking her how old she is, and she says one, 
And he's like, oh, you're like a year old. And she's like, one. He's like, one what? One month, one day, one year? And she's like, one. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, are you trying to tell me you're Neo? Are you the one? Like, what, what's, <laughs> what is going on here? Does she think she's yeah. God? Or she, is that in her world? Is she? Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, the, just to wrap up the deceit thing, the scenes that I love that tie those two things together, just from a filmmaking aspect of, of what makes this movie so brilliant there's a particular scene that that speaks that to me and that's toward the end nathan is talking to caleb and he is intentionally leading him astray right he's like he's like giving him this information he's like he's trying to get him to um ask questions i don't i'm trying to remember exactly what, what he was talking about but the way that nathan uh, intentionally tells Caleb what he would do when he's going to shut Ava off. Caleb's asking about that. Nathan is telling, he goes through a very explicitly, he's like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, just turn her off, gotta, you know, fire up the next model, you know, the next one will be better, yada, yada, yada. And what I see in that scene is, I see that same type of quiet deceit and manipulation that Ava is exhibiting. Because that's what Nathan is doing. He knows that by telling Caleb those things, that he is evoking an emotional response in Caleb to want to fight to save her. Like, that's what he's trying to do. He is intentionally trying to provoke Caleb to that emotion so that he will act. And Ava, of course, is doing the same thing. I mean, I, Caleb is, the, is, is pretty tragic here, in my opinion. I, let's, let, let me ask you that question. What do you guys think about Caleb? Do you think he is all tragic figure? Do you think that him being, he is, his death and his ending is earned? Or, or does he bring that on himself? Or do you think he do you have any? Does he have any non redeeming qualities about him? Is he just a good guy? Uh, real, real quick question before we answer that: Do we really think that he's going to die? I mean, he's locked in. The doors are shut. There's going to be limited air. Um, I, I, my impression is that in order to protect herself, she would have to leave him to die. I, I would I just, agree. I uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go I, was gonna, I was gonna, I was going to say that what got me the second time around because I asked that same question. I'm going, well, surely somebody's going to come after him. No, they're not, because when 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 Ava leaves and the helicopter picks her up, there's no question by the helicopter pilot of like, why is this not Caleb? And so what we know is what what I deduced from that was that Nathan gives these guys just enough information to satisfy his own thing. So in the, in the original, like the way it was going to play out, Nathan or Caleb was going to leave. <laughs> None of this went down, but Caleb was going to leave. And the only way that anybody would come back to that place is if there was a schedule of some kind, or if Nathan had said, bring them to this place. But nobody from the beginning of the movie, we know that, Nobody except whoever Nathan invites is allowed to get anywhere close to the compound. So to me, I'm thinking Ava knows that um, for whatever reason, either because she's programmed to or because she's observed it. And to me, I don't think that there's any way that he's going to be rescued at this point. The fact that he was banging on and this could have been just a dramatic effect, but you know, he banged on the door and there was no sound coming from it. Maybe that was a, Again, just a piece of theater, but it's a great another I think, visual comparison, by the way, to the scenes of the AIs, the original AIs that that were you know, turned away or broken, like pounding on the glass until they fell apart. I, I thought yeah. that that was intentional. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, for that's a that's a long way to get to a short answer. I I don't I think I think he's meant to to perish because there's no way logistically based on what we know of that world that anybody's going to be able to come back for any reason. And they can't get close enough without Nathan's okay. So I guess the the reason why I thought about that was just because I was thinking about how um, meticulous Nathan is with certain things. I just have this feeling that he would do when you live so remote and so secluded. I would just think that, hey, what would you do if you fell down and you broke your leg and nobody could help you? I feel like he would have some sort of fail safe. Like, hey, lawyer, if I don't contact you in like three days or every three days, 
send help or just something. I don't know. I guess Maybe. I just would really like to see a sequel where <laughs> Caleb is like on the brink of death. Someone comes and now the search is on for Ava. Some AI, rest- AI that we haven't seen yet comes out and. Well, we we start realizing that Nathan's actually an AI too, you know, whatever. That's going to be the weird twist in that way. Well, you know, I get the vibe from Nathan that he is the egotistical playboy that would have nowhere in his life would he believe that anything could ever happen to him. And so that he wouldn't even think about that. Um, That's that's the attitude I get from him. Now, from a logical perspective, E-Man, I completely agree with you. It doesn't make sense for him not to have something built in, but... Um, you know, the, he says early in the movie, and I caught it this time. This is the first time I've actually paid attention to this scene in, in all my viewings of the film. Nathan's telling Caleb about how he built the house, and he says, talks about the amount of fiber optics and, and, and wire in the house, and he says, you know, and then I had to have the, the contractors killed. There's never a laugh. There is never a moment of humor or levity after that. I've I've always kind of like, I think I assumed there was one. And this time when watching, I was like, hey, you know, I just realized he didn't actually – there's never like a ha-ha, I'm just kidding. Like they just move mm-hmm. – they kind of pause and look weird and then they move on to a new topic. But there's never – it's never like concluded. And it I made me wonder like – I don't know. Maybe he did have him killed. You know, I wouldn't put it past him. So what was the question that we were getting to before we we were talking about that? we were talking about Caleb and we were discussing whether or not right. he deserves his fate. Uh, is he a tragic okay. figure in this film or does he have some level of responsibility? You know, I, upon first viewing, I would say, yes, he's a tragic, you know, person and that he didn't deserve that because he didn't do anything wrong. And you could you could, you know, point back to that moment where he. I picked up on this a little bit on this viewing where, you know, he says, he answers the question, are you good? And he goes, yes. And she doesn't say false. But what I got from this whole thing was that everybody's got a motive. (laughs) Everybody's got a reason for doing what they're doing. I think his is the least defined as you watch it. And maybe I just, I'm not, I'm not picking up on something. So if you guys have picked up on something, but uh, let me know. But I, I've clearly seen what Nathan's is because his is the most obvious because he verbalizes it. He says, I want to be a part of the next great evolutionary step in AI. Ava, as we find out, is over the course of the film. And I, but I still think there's a bit of ulterior motive or self, selfish ambition in Caleb as well, although I can't quite pinpoint it. But I don't see him this time around as a tragic hero. I don't see him. I, I, I feel like he would. I feel like he would still have an ulterior motive if he and Ava left together. All right. So um, I'm gonna be kind, and then I'll be insensitive at the same time. <laughs> um, so being kind, I do think that his motive was probably the most primal one, which was love. And it was the most basic one. He fell in love with her, you know, and okay. which at the end of the day was kind of the goal, I think, behind Nathan, um, which was to evoke all the emotions and desires, whether it be sexually, whether it be, you know, just romantically, whatever the case is, because, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you know, um, Nathan did compile all of Caleb's information from his searches to make Ava, you know, like this is the kind of woman that he likes and the kind of shape and eyes and stuff like that. So in a sense, he fell victim to his own desires. Um, and, And that is tragic. Now cue the insensitive part. You know that this is an AI, you know that it's a robot. He failed the test. He, he he passed the test, but he failed the test at the same time because he was just like, oh, I love you. Let me save you. But at the same time, uh, I'm dead. So whatever. I, I, I want to know how the test is passed. They, they talk about the test being passed, and, and I don't buy that because, you know, the test is supposedly passed if you can interact with the computer and not know it's a computer. But I don't think that that is possible. How can you unknow something? Now, well, okay, so I will interject and say that 
that was addressed because Caleb actually asked that question. He said a true te- a true Turing test would be that I'd never see Ava. And Nathan basically said, well, this is a different kind of Turing test. I want to see if by interacting with her, you still think she's a robot at the end of all these sessions. And I think that in a way, the test was really kind of a, a baseline for testing him too, because something that I picked up on, um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I, I talked to you about this offline, Aaron, that I'm watching their sessions and Caleb is, looks like he's the one in a cage. Like his bo- he's in a box. And when you listen, and this is me reading too much into it probably, but if you listen to the audio, it sounds as if the camera is always on and the audio is always on her side as if she's the one conducting the experiment and he's just answering the questions. So to me, it's not a true Turing test. I think it's almost like a reverse Turing test in that (laughs) is he human to her or is he just some other program thing that, that she's been told about? Well, that's, yeah. And I think that goes to what Nathan tells him in the end. He tells Caleb, he's like, you know, the point of this was to see if she could get you to care about her enough that she could then try to do what she's doing. Like that, that was the point I think. Um, and of course that's the brilliance of what he is. He's doing, he's deceiving and manipulating and Caleb doesn't know that. So he's the sheep here, you know, he's the one being led on. Yeah. Well, Aaron, just to kind of go back on one of your previous points about how do you unknow something? Um, I don't think it's a matter of unknowing. I think it's just a matter of clashing. So, you know, um, when hormones and stuff get into the brain, you know, there's a difference between when we are emotionally thinking versus logically thinking, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, just like when you get angry, you don't make sound arguments or you say things that you don't mean later, you know, but when you're calm, you can make sound, logical, you know, arguments. So I think this is the case where because because remember when Caleb first came in there, first thing he was thinking about was like, how was the programming? How did you make her? You know, he was very analytical about the whole thing. But the second he started getting all emotional and tied to her, he just went dummy, you know, and full love blown on this whole thing. And that's when he started making dumb decisions. Yeah, I I think I land mostly on the he does not deserve this uh, side of things. I, I feel like his actions, while of course are motivated by the fact that he has fallen in love with her or he wants a relationship with her. Um, I, I, I do think that that I don't think that that's worthy of being left for dead essentially. And we'll, we'll talk about the ending here in a minute. I have, I have two more topics I want to cover one, uh, one about the science of this science fiction. And then we'll talk about the ending before we wrap up. So regarding science, the one thing that sticks out it about this film to me is, um, and, and most AI movies is the inherent danger of certain scientific advancement. And I think about this a lot, how blue book is so similar to Google. Um, Patrick and I, our next film that we're covering just this next weekend is the circle. And I don't know if you have, you probably haven't seen it, but yet, but if you, um, if you've read the book at all, it's a very similar concept here of, of, you know, advancing in technology. And at what point does that become too much? Well, the thing that happens in Ex Machina that gets me is this ability to profile based on the internet history. And it makes me think of online dating and how in the world we live in, does that really, does creating a match based on our preferences really make a better relationship because it, or does it just take out the room for discovery? And that's what has happened here. Caleb, Ava has been made to match what Caleb wants. But even if Caleb was to get outside with Ava, is that relationship going to eventually falter because there is no, there's nowhere to go. There's no room to, to learn. I don't know. What do you guys think about that, that idea? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. This kind of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning with, Nathan skipping social nuances and stuff. Um, this is no different. But then again, that's kind of what happens in this age of technology and information 
um, you know, on social media and stuff like that, a lot of things that we used to take for granted, like calling someone on the phone or meeting someone in person and, you know, reading body language and talking in person and stuff like that, it's lost, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, if Caleb and Ava were to go out and do whatever they were going to do, um, if that were to happen, I do think that eventually reality will meet them once certain experiences start to catch up with them. And that's something that you just can't escape as a human being. Well, for Caleb's case, anyway. <laughs> well, I think that, no, I, well, I think that's yeah, true. But I think you're speaking to the power of, of, of genuine relationships. And um, being married has taught me a number of things, one of which is that the woman that I married is not necessarily the woman that I fell in love with or the woman that I dated. And those three statements are not conflicting. <laughs> All of those are progressive statements about my relationship with my wife. Because when you live with someone, uh, when you're friends with someone, those nuances that come out change the way you see that person. And I think that kind of from a crappy worldview standpoint, Hollywood maybe uh, tends to kind of give us this picture of what it could be like forever and ever when really it's what it's like for the first three months of your relationship. I mean, you, we, we hear about the honeymoon phase of a marriage. And I think for someone like Caleb and for Ava, first of all, Ava's not going to age. So that's going to get really awkward when he turns like, you know, if we're, if we're going down that scenario. But secondly, the more she learns, the more she's going to continue to change and evolve. And while she is the person that he was that that's programmed to be his ideal, that's going to fade just as much. And I don't think it matters that she's AI or not. I think it's just the nature of growth in relationships. Um, that would be an interesting sequel, but I think it would be more like that's normal life for most people. And why would you want to see that on screen unless you're, you know, Richard Linklater or something like that and you want to create stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that you know we, what we have here is a great picture of maybe a false image of what the ideal is. I mean, even going back to what you were saying, Aaron, about a dating profile, we're not giving away everything in that dating profile. We're giving away the best parts of us and saying, here's what I'm interested in, here's what I don't like, and we're seeing if other people match up with that. But that's not a complete picture of who you are. It's a part of who you are that makes you attractive to hopefully somebody else. Mm -hmm. But as you get into relationships, you know that there's more baggage to unpack. And I think for an AI, it's still there, regardless of the fact that that, that, that thing is just that a thing. It's not a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree with all that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the ending, um, here at the end. Uh -huh. Um, but we've, we kind of briefly touched on this and what do we think happened to Caleb? Um, how do we feel about Ava's choice to murder Nathan? Um, one question I've kind of struggled with is if Ava is an AI, if Ava was programmed by Nathan and so much of her decision-making process is numbers and data, is she responsible for her actions? Um, or is the person that created her and gave her these, these algorithms responsible for her actions? Um, and then you know, we, as well, did Caleb deserve his death? Should she have shown him mercy? I, I, I still wonder why. Like, why would she do this? I mean, she asks him a very interesting question there at the end as she's walking out. Uh, or before she walks out, she says, would you stay here or will you stay here? The wording of it's very interesting. And that's it. Like, that's, that's the last thing she says to him, you know. Um it's very weird. I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Did you guys have a reason for that? Did you even notice that, that line of dialogue? No, nobody's noticing that line of dialogue. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Just me. All right. You're too um, smart for us, Aaron. <laughs> Apparently so, but I don't have an answer for it. It's just questions. <laughs> the great observer, Aaron White. And then gentlemen. The, the, ultimately about the ending, where do we think she goes from here? Right? So she is, she is now, we see her taking taking action on the exact dream that she had described to Caleb earlier in the film. She says that she wants to go to an intersection because she wants to people watch. Um, and 
you know, of course she, during that conversation, she says, maybe we could do it together. And it was probably manipulation, I guess, but I don't know. What do you think happens at this point in the story? What, what is Ava's end goal? What happens when she runs out of batteries? What do you, what do you guys think? Well, you know, to go back to your other question about responsibility, I think that goes back to whether or not she actually has free will. If she has free will, then she's ultimately responsible for her decisions and choices, regardless of her creator. Um, If she is subject to her programming, then that goes back to the creator. Because um, one thing that I always thought of was, why didn't Nathan, and you know, most evil genius scientists will do something like this, like, you can't kill your creator, you know, they'll like put that line of programming code in there. Um, Why didn't he instill a Buddhist mindset or principles or nonviolence or anything of that nature to go along with her programming? So if that moral code, I guess, is not there, I think that leaves things kind of up in the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the funny answer for me is that she's going to hang out at a mall for the next probably two, three, four years, just watching people and getting the occasional dip and dots. But I think for, for her, um, it really is kind of a question mark because we don't know what her moral compass is. I mean, if she sees, if she's at that intersection and she sees a car crash, is her instinct to go help someone go see if people are okay? Or is she just going to continue to just watch and learn what's considered quote, right and wrong. You know, if she's in New York, maybe she won't know what that was right and wrong because it's a city of people or any big city. I'm singling out New York, but any place is going to be an opportunity to see, you know, right and wrong being demonstrated and how is she going to respond to that? So it's a, it's a great question to ask because we don't know. We don't know if she has a moral compass. We know that she kills but in our mind, she kills justifiably. But but that brings but us back to kills. Caleb. So I mean, she is he is doing nothing but exhibiting good will behavior toward her. He's nothing but in her corner, trying to help her. And what he gets for his trouble is locked in a room, in theory, to be left there to die of starvation and lack of oxygen. Right. So, I mean, to me, that's a moral compass. She's making a choice. Well, it's an amoral compass because <laughs> but it, it, it's 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 a it it is a moral compass in that it's it's a translation of her being instinctively self-preserving, you know. And so, if yes. she's got that self-preservation, mm-hmm. anything around her that she interprets as being a violation of her self-preservation, she will attack it or she will prevent it from happening. How she does that, I have no idea. But I would be curious to to see what would happen if she's walking, you know, because she's obviously a very attractive AI. She's very innocent sounding. I'd be curious to see how she would, if she were attacked, what, how she would interpret that. That'd be, I mean, that'd be an interesting sequel to see what does Ava do and how do we, how does she, how do we explore her morality and her worldview and how is that defined now that she doesn't have a creator? Well, I feel like that's I feel like that's what happens though at the at the murder personally. I mean, I, I think what we know is she talks to Kyo- Kyoko and she says something. We don't know what she says. <laughs> you know, we could be led to believe that she is telling her, "Hey, walk up behind him and stab him in the back." We could assume that, but we don't know. Um, we know that she tackles Nathan and ultimately it's Nathan attacking her and knocking her her arm off because she just, she just disables him. Essentially. She just tackles him. But when he violently knocks her arm off, that's when Kyoko comes up and stabs him. And then it's not until he then attacks Kyoko and knocks her out that Ava responds with the extra knife stab. Like she doesn't go straight to murder him. She is doing so in a response of, you know, saving her friend or what has happened to her friend and the fact that he's attacked her first. So it's a revenge motive. It's a revenge motive. Right. Good, good word. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it it felt like fake (laughs) self-defense. There you go. It could be. Yeah. 
Yeah, it could be. Absolutely. I mean, she's that's the thing is she's so smart. She's so incredibly intelligent that who knows how much manipulation is happening. And I think that's one of the fun things about rewatching this movie is that you can do so and know now how brilliant she is and try to pick up on every nuance of every line of dialogue. Like, is she playing a game here? And what is the game she's playing? Um, I, I think that's one of the things that makes it so great. Absolutely. Any last uh, thoughts here on it? Do we need major things we need to, to talk about? No, I think I've talked my way out of this particular portion of the episode. <laughs> E-Man, what about you? Uh, you know, I think the the one thing that always stuck to me was definitely the moral coding, right? Because... I'm thinking like if you don't have a creator or a god or whatever higher standard above yourself, it gets really, really tricky in terms of what right or wrong is. And maybe it just doesn't exist at that point if there's no objective uh, standard for you to follow. Um, But it also really made me wonder, you know, what is it to be human? Because I don't think that I think that even though this whole movie was about, you know, can this AI be human? I thought it was more of a question of what is what does it take for us to be human? Because when even when Caleb was poking himself, I was doing the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. Like, how do I know that I'm not an AI? And, you know, you go through the whole Blade Runner, you know, mindset or whatnot. But, um, yeah, it just really makes you question, you know, what separates us from the animals and, you know, what separates AIs from us? And that that gap is shortening with with this movie. And that's a scary thing, because at the end of the day, humans always want to be the most superior. And if there's anything that challenges that, that's just terrifying. And I think this movie, you know, kind of pokes at that. That gap is shortening in real life. I mean, we have Alexa and Siri and Cortana, and we have Amazon grocery stores that you just turn your phone on and walk through a little, you know, walk through a um, a, a turnstile, and you just walk around, and your phone automatically will pick up whatever you put into your cart and charge it to a bill, and then you just walk out, and it sends a, a bill to your credit card. These are the things in technology that we have coming, so... That's what I love about these stories, but I, well, that also is what terrifies me about these stories: is the realism factor of a uh, uh oh, what what is going to happen? You know, uh, are we ultimately going to be submitting to Ultron and Ava as yeah. the two king and queens of of our world? Yeah, um, I think it's where I think it's where shows like Black Mirror find their success because it it tippy toes around the reality of the world that we live in. The not too distant future is now now. You know, it's it's the next ten minutes, it's the next twenty minutes, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 very thought provoking and at the same time very sobering because what we were in in the seventies and eighties about thinking about two thousand one and night, you know, and 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 the the future, you know, is now what we live in, and it's very frightening. Yeah, I think it's cool, I have it's one right. one other thing to say that my my moral of the story or uh for our friend Don who is a mutual friend of ours Don Shanahan another critic in Chicago with Emmanuel uh his life lessons or his movie lessons. I think the one that comes out of this for me is always be skeptical if you have to sign an NDA. Absolutely. I second Facts. that one. Yes. All right. Well, that's it, guys. Um, this was great. Uh, maybe we'll continue it on and, and throw some bonus content uh, over on Patreon if we have some more to say. Um, we'll let you know if we do that, listeners. But, uh, Emmanuel, where can people find more of your stuff online? Where can they come see your awesome videos that are incredibly entertaining? Look, all you have to do is go on Blue Book, right? Oh, no. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on Google. <laughs> and just type in Eman's movie reviews. You'll find me on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I'm 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 trying to be everywhere at the same time. But uh, best place to go is my Facebook fan page, Eman's movie reviews. It's probably the best place in the whole wide world that you didn't know about. So check me out. Awesome, Patrick. What about you? 
yeah, if you want to continue the combo with me, which I'd love to do anytime, it's uh, you can find me on the big three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm also at thisispatch.com, my personal website, that you can find out more about me, and hopefully that hasn't gotten embedded into some AI's brain that's going to come attack me later on. So uh, if you want to find out more about the show, you can catch us at feelinfilm.com. There you can find past episodes, written content, some good stuff from our contributors. Um, and uh, you can also find us on the web at feelinfilm and also our Facebook group as well, which you can find a link to on our website. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to continue with me, you can find me all over the interwebs as well at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Type that in and I should come up on Twitter and Facebook and gosh, Steam, PlayStation. I don't care. Find me anywhere you want. Um, like I said earlier, I think we may be doing some afterwards bonus content on Ex Machina. So if you are a Patreon supporter, uh, you can get access to all of our bonus content for as little as $2 a month. That's like half of a latte, listeners. Half of a latte. And you can also be doing us the large favor of helping us cover the costs of putting the podcast together. So that would be awesome. And if you're so inclined, there's lots of stuff building up there. There's some top five lists and other good stuff for you to find. And uh, we won't make you sign an NDA if you are won't. a Patreon. So <laughs> true. Feel, free to, feel free to be free with us. That is true. And, and also, this was a donor pick episode. And at the $3 and up level, uh, all of those Patreons, supporters, get to vote on what these episodes will be every month. So they get to pick the list and then decide. So that's, it's, it's a cool little feature and, and fun little way to interact with us. Uh, and if you're interested, check that out, patreon.com slash film. Well, that's it for us. Uh, hopefully, Emmanuel will come back. We have some stuff planned with him maybe later in the early fall when we do some more science fiction stuff. We might just kind of stereotype him. But hey, whatever. He loves it. Until then, everybody, as we always say, stay positive. And keep feeling film.